Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Hey guys, it's been a while and I miss you all very much. I have spent quite some time in the past month or so thinking and reshaping the FaceWorld brand. While still focusing a lot on podcasting, finding the next guest, I've also introduced some of my own writing, which you can check out on my website, phaseworld.com forward slash category forward slash writing. So joining me on the FaceWorld podcast today is Jordan Clayton. He is an SVP of UX, which means user experience. UX is a domain in the creative space and has become increasingly popular over the years. But for most schools, especially undergrads, they really haven't carved out a systematic and more effective way for students to learn more about UX. Needless to say that when the students do graduate from school, very few of them feel prepared or qualified for even an entry-level UX position. So what is UX exactly? We're all constantly users, like we're using these chairs as we're sitting and we're using this microphone, we're using the door handle as we exit in and out. UX is in everything we see, everything we do. Jordan argues that it's not only about making things useful and usable, but UX is tasked to make things more fun, compelling, inspiring, and more emotionally engaging as well. This podcast isn't your one-on-one course to UX, but rather it is a more general lesson on how a UX designer thinks and what he looks for in hiring, why prototyping is so important compared to the traditional wireframing. And a bonus to all of this is Jordan's point of view on lessons learned throughout his career, and specifically on things such as presentation, which is an area that nearly everyone struggles with at every stage of their career. Beyond UX, Jordan is known as a very well-dressed, charismatic person in the office, well-liked and very well-respected by many others How does he do this exactly? From fashion to travel to music, our conversations took us to all the really interesting interplays between these disciplines and enabled Jordan to do what he does and really to be who he is. I hope you enjoy this conversation and thanks so much for choosing to spend this one hour with us. I can't thank you enough and I feel very privileged to be able to do this. If you find FaceWorld interesting or if you like to ask a question personally, simply connect with me via all social channels, Facebook, Twitter. It is the same social handle, FaceWorld across all. Or take the more traditional, I guess more intimate, more personal approach, which is to email me at faceworld at gmail.com. Please welcome Jordan Clayton to FaceWorld Podcast. Welcome to the Face World Podcast, Jordan Clayton. Thank you, Faye. Happy to be here. Awesome. You are a senior vice president of a user experience slash creative director here at Arnold Worldwide. Correct. How long have you been here and what, what exactly is that you do here? 
So I've been here for about six months and I have a unique position in which I am in the creative department taking user experience design which is previously more kind of in strategy and production mm -hmm. and making sure that it's fully embraced and fully in integrated within the creative culture. And I think what is also a little different is like our responsibility you know, I've kind of boiled it down to one little sentence, and that is to, to really spark and shape our interactive ideas into the most useful, usable, and compelling things possible, whatever those might be. Mm -hmm. um, so really putting a focus on who are the people who are using our, you know, uh, websites, apps, different interactive projects that we're doing, and how can we, how can we um, make them um, work for them as best as possible. Mm. So, yeah. It's... You know, creative directors, I think, in, in, um, in your role, it's just very exciting. There's so many people approach me on a weekly basis to say that, you know, Faith, I consider myself creative, I'm a designer or a study, you know, uh, user, I don't know, is it user interaction, design, there's some of the disciplines. There's the so many different <sighs> titles out there and I know a lot of people are fatigued by the confusion of it too. Yeah, what are some of the confusions that, that often well, for me, I mean, just user experience. A lot of people are like, what is a user experience? It sounds so kind of abstract and yeah. kind of weird. And um, for, for what it really comes down to is it's somebody, it's about interaction and how someone is interacting with something. Mm -hmm. Like what, you know, whether we know it or not, we're all, we're all constantly users. Like we're using these chairs as we're sitting and we're using this microphone. We're using the door handle as we exit in and out. I mean, as, and, and. From that standpoint, it's really about making those things, those experiences, as um, as streamlined and easy as possible. But also, like in the advertising world and in, in the creative world, is also not just making things useful and usable, but also fun and compelling and inspiring and just also more emotionally engaging. Which I find to be very, very uh, rich, mm -hmm. um, rich place to play. How did you find yourself or navigate through your own personal experience oh, and career to <laughs> come to this point? Like, how do you discover that, that this is for you? Oh my gosh, that is, I feel like it's taken my whole life. Like, honestly, when I was a kid, I loved video games. I love I loved lots of different things and exploring a lot. I took high school, every single computer and art class I could take. And then I ended up going to art school, Savannah College of Art and Design fell in love with like industrial design and designing products because I just love the idea of like interfaces and how people interact with technology and different mm -hmm. machinery and I was like really inspired by you know the design of jet cockpits and and things like that um, how do you take those like more complex um, um, like big machines and make them work well with humans mm -hmm. um, and honestly the UX world kind of exploded after school um, <laughs> and it. I honestly, after school, I freelanced for about three years, and I would, I'm, I'm, I'm a designer at heart, mm -hmm. and I would take any type of design job I could get my hands on. I would, I, I did some fashion flat design for um, uh, Burton snowboards. I designed toy catalogs. I taught myself how to action script and do flash animation and build websites. Mm -hmm. um, just basically anything I could do, branding work. Um, but I also had a background in the industrial design as well as interaction design from school and ended up getting picked up by Crispin Porter and Bogusky. And once I started working with them, I kind of, that helped seal the deal for me, you know. 
being at Crispin and also going and attending a lot of conferences, I think the community, being around other interaction designers and user experience designers really helped me feel like I was at home. So it wasn't until that experience that I was like, oh yeah, this this feels right. This is really cool. I like these people. I like what we're trying to do. There's just like the digital world, it's it's the you know the gold rush of our generation. <laughs> I love that. And there's <laughs> and there's there's so much creativity and technology, and we're just kind of scratching the surface. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know, in the world of advertising and creative communications, mm-hmm. there's an infinite amount of possibilities for us to explore. And I'm really excited to be kind of on the forefront of that with Arnold and what I'm doing here. Um, what are some of the things earlier on in your career, maybe taking you back to when you were 20, 22, that you realized that you were doing that were helpful to uh, your career later on that everybody else around you probably wasn't really doing or embracing some of the opportunities that you mentioned. So sort of the counterintuitive Gosh, this this sounds so cheesy and sometimes I think (laughs) You know, I, sometimes I would slap myself for saying this out loud, but the idea of following your heart and following your interests is really important because you don't know how those will be useful for you in the future. And one thing that has been something I've just subconsciously followed is I've had I've had this calling to diagram stuff and to map stuff out. I've, I love cartography. I love mapping. I love being able to take a complex system and, and visualize it and. Um, after school, me and a couple buddies went to San Francisco and we had a kind of a small contract job for a company called X-Plane, which is, a, they're like a visual explanation company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was all, you know, we had a couple of projects where we worked with some startups to fig, like figuring out how to visualize their business models and, and different things like that. And it wasn't a ton of experience, but what it did teach me was like, hey, this is a whole unique way of thinking mm-hmm. um, that there is kind of a market for, for this and that there's a huge need out there of taking these you know, more complicated new types of businesses, new types of products, new types of services, figuring out how to communicate and explain them in, in uh, you know, an understandable and compelling way. Um, and that actually really paid off later on in my career. And frankly, right now, like being able to get into it in front of a whiteboard full of people mm-hmm. and be able to orchestrate, you know, different types of ideas and think through how they might work and how people might use them and, and think from like, you know, how someone will start an experience with an app that will lead them through a website that will lead them to an event that will blah, blah, blah. You know, like being able to do that in a very, very relevant way for people, Mm. it's hard and challenging, but those previous like instincts that I had of like following, honestly, (laughs) exploring diagramming and exploring mapping, right? Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't, at the time, it didn't um, give me a whole lot of um, fortune, but later on in life, it really kicked in. Mm. Um, So that's, I think that's a, a good example. Having experienced your presentation skills and even just interacting with a team internally, externally, with a client, you clearly have a talent and you're very comfortable. You have a lot of empathy, so it wasn't like I'm so smart. But I feel like, you know, someone in my position, or I can I can speak that for the client as well, that you're there with them every step of the way. Mm. So one of the areas a lot of the younger people, or even people in their 30s, having worked, you know, having worked for 10 years, to say, you know, there's one thing that really most people struggle with is presentation. Mm. And so, what are do you feel like your the design school, your art school, very well prepared you for that, or you know, if people don't get to experience that, don't feel like they're prepared in school, what can they do 
you know, early on in their career. Oh my gosh, uh, practice as much as possible. I mean, and I don't think, do I don't know of anybody who is good at presenting who thinks they're great. <laughs> uh, and everybody's different and like, you know, I'd probably be a horrible stand-up comedian, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, and if you want me to present, you know, technical specifications and how someone might use something, I may be really good at presenting that way and some other ways. Um, but I think, I mean, there's always opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm. I, I think, for people starting off, I think practicing as much as possible. I think one of the hardest way things to do, especially when you're learning to present, is getting yourself out of your own way. You know, if you really, um, I think, study the material that helps kind of drill, develop a well of knowledge within yourself, and then when you get up in front of people, you just sort of draw from the well as you're as you're um, talking to others. Um, how, how did you practice on your own? before because I see that you you are freestyle now I mean you've, you've <laughs> gone past that you know you don't take I don't see that you necessarily have like little notes to self sort of thing but what, what are some of the techniques that you practice I mean you uh, f- frankly I do if I, I don't usually go into like a, a meeting with all those different notes but I will especially for big presentations definitely practice the material beforehand and have some sort of narrative or flow in mind of like the main things I want to get across and some and definitely thinking through the questions they may ask you know i think the more prepared you are the better i think it's possible to over prepare too yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and then you could kind of shoot yourself in the foot that way um <laughs> but being um i mean just really i think knowing your material the best you can and being able to improvise on the fly mm. um i but, won't lie that i practiced my material for later on this afternoon last night i had no intention to do that but i said to myself you know what Maybe I'll just maybe I'll just do that because it's not mm-hmm. really my style to. I try to be as hippie as freestyle, but then the words don't come out always the same way or the right way. Mm-hmm. Or um, you know, so I basically practice in a you know close close the door just by myself. Do you find that a certain, works great? I yeah? mean, I've done that before. I I mean, I'll still do that once in a while for if it's a big important presentation. I have it in a bit, but um, you know, those certain things. You know, uh, Jeff Gothelf, um He's one of the kind of pioneers in lean UX design. I follow his blog, he's great. If you're ever into like, you know, uh, the latest thinking around UX design and, and, and you know, um, add the agile development process and how they work together. But anyway, so he he talked a lot about, you know, even when he presents, he does workshops all the time. He'll, he'll practice five to 10 different times. He'll do it in front of colleagues, mm-hmm. you know, over and over and over. And um, that's something when I ended up reading that blog post, it was not actually, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it got me, I think, more comfortable with the idea of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people can totally just get up there and, and do stuff on the fly. I think I can do that a lot of the times, but sometimes, frankly, I need I need to do my homework. Mm-hmm. And I think most people should do their homework. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to be good at both because there, to your point, there are times that you don't even know. I mean, I know I've given you five seconds notice to come to a meeting that potentially often materials that you prepare weeks ago, like before your vacation. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, remember the thing that you, you did for us two months ago? And also I think <laughs> taking a lot of pressure off yourself that you know, you're know you there to express yourself honestly and on your best, front fo- best foot forward mm-hmm. um, and that you don't have to know all the answers and you can own that and, and be like, listen, I don't always know all the answers, but at least if you have an attitude in any of those presentations or meetings mm-hmm. um, that you if, if you don't know something, you'll go ahead and find that out and be able to remedy it quickly. Yeah. I think that can take a lot of the pressure off yourself. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking anti-fragile, like it's one of the topics I, I wrote down. Which I need to read that book. Yeah. A lot of people keep recommending it to me. 
you have to read it multiple times and kind of it, it's a hard to read and then the author said that he completely did it on purpose <laughs> you know he's like I you know I'm not trying to Malcolm Gladwell it just like oh, do your sure. work you, you might have to sit on a page and, and read over and over again but it's so fascinating it speaks to you know I feel like it kind of leads into my next questions like what do you look for in a person that you might want to hire for your department um, you know yeah that's a good question, um, and I think it's for somebody in in the UX department working at a creative agency like Arnold. We're looking for something a little bit different than I think the traditional kind of UX user experience design practitioner. I think we have a very heavy um, focus on conceptual thinking. That's something I find challenging in a lot of user experience designers. A lot of them are super left-brained. Um, kind of analytical, logical thinkers, which is su is absolutely super important for the UX world, like being able to think through the logic and flow of how something might work. Um, however, some of them have a little struggle thinking about, like thinking of big ideas and how to really be in a room with a lot of other fellow creative thinkers and build on the ideas and not to think too much about editing stuff during the... Um, during the creative process. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Hemingway, and he said, uh, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> and I think for a lot of UX people, that can be really challenging is kind of getting into that drunken mindset of coming up with lots of crazy ideas just to get them out, get a huge volume idea of ideas out, mm -hmm. and then cull them down into their most relevant, useful uh, component that they might be. Um, another thing is uh, we're really focusing more on prototyping as like one of the main kind of things we really bring to the table. Not like, you know, traditional wireframes, blueprints, functional specs, flows, like those are all super important still. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, as, as projects are getting faster and we have to learn more, we have to be able to test and iterate stuff on the fly, especially in a more inventive workspace, we need to be able to be able to prototype fast. So we've been um, looking a lot and exploring into software like um, Axure and um, Keynote and, and, and some other tools too so we can actually like as we're concepting and as we're coming up with ideas come up with prototypes then and there versus waiting further on you know down the line for um, you know developers to make alphas and betas and then test stuff. I, I'm nodding uncontrollably right now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of it's common sense, but all, you know when you get in because the, there's like kind of theory versus practice, and like in theory, yeah, like you're supposed to be kind of testing constantly and learning, but uh, in practice, there's you know super tight timelines, super tight budgets. You know, there's a lot of different political um, movements at play. So being able to orchestrate and work within that is 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 essential. Mm. So we've been talking about your professional life for, for quite a long time, but yeah. I, I do wanna, the, the first question I, I wrote down, which it took us you know 17 minutes to get to, is what are some of the things that you want people to know about you at Arnold uh, that they don't yet? I, I've heard a lot of questions that people raise here at Arnold about questions for Jordan. So maybe I can go right into Go that. right into it. So fashion. <laughs> oh, nice. We talked about this. People <laughs> find you very well dressed, which surprised me in a very positive way because I, when I think about people well dressed and I think about women in general who try really hard or looks like they're not trying, I feel like you're... You appear to me like you're not really trying to... I, I don't, not to sound like <laughs> egotistical or anything. I don't try that hard. Um. But you've received compliments uh, in, uh, I believe you said, like, South... What is it? 
Where do you live? Back Bay? Area? Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, um, we're, I think Fashion you and I were board. chatting before. Where I I, I live at an apartment complex called the Ink Block, and my concierge, one of like the not, the people that kind of run the downstairs, um, <laughs> they always compliment on my dress they have three or four times over the past month and I'm like maybe this is a trend I don't know maybe you should be like a personal shopper or something I think most men really struggle to know <laughs> what they're supposed to wear and yet you know and it's hard I think in New England in particular is hard because this whole blue shirts khaki pants are just that is it I mean where where do you shop and how do you Think about. It's pretty eclectic. Uh, frankly, I have to give a, a lot of my credit to my wife. Um, Please do. Because I would probably dress a lot crazier. I think she's really good at creating a, making sure whatever I walk out the door with is cohesive. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I do a lot of my shopping, most of my shopping on my own, but she is, she's a brilliant design thinker as well. And mm -hmm. um, honestly, she's helped to get rid of a lot of ugly stuff in my wardrobe. So I can, I can thank her on that. Um, I don't know, it's just like, we usually go to outlets. I'll go to J. Crew or Banana Republic or H&M and find mm. different things or, gosh, I have stuff from just years. I got vintage shops, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So my, my guess was right. I, I felt like you were, I can see J. Crew in a lot of, some uh, of your styles. But what are some of the crazy, you know, what are some of the crazy stuff like fashion brands <laughs> that, you know, I, I the reason for me to be kind of interested in this topic just so that you can feel free to ask me any questions. Oh, sure, about sure. That my I remember being uh, you know really young, I guess eight or nine years old. My mom was a consultant for just several fashion like designer brands in France and England, and and then she had a lot of students who learn design aspects of things from her. So that has been a kind of an ongoing conversation. So I find myself even these days liking brands like. Not necessarily I can afford, but like Alexander Wang, McQueen, mm, yeah. uh, D-squared, huge fan of D-squared, even though you look at their runways, like how could anyone pull off any of these things, right? But it just, it's amazing. Like what are some of the off-brand, off-work styles that you would kind of... I honestly don't really care for that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, certain things, like I love Ray-Ban some. I love Converse. Like since I was almost old enough to walk, I've always had a pair of Converse. Mm -hmm. um, I love the way they look. Love the way they feel. Um, you can wear them for a lot of different. I mean, if you're working in the creative industry, mm -hmm. it's part of your exactly. outfit, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, Have the shoe rack, probably but, most people here. But honestly, like, I don't know. I, I guess it's one of those things that I just kind of have. Uh, don't really think much about and just kind of collect things wherever mm -hmm. I go and I tend I can be kind of a thrifty shop shopper and I, I like to look in the bargain sections and sale stuff I don't like paying full price for stuff right. um, and I try not to be too much of anything specific like too hipster or too preppy or too this too that I try to find a balance in between mm -hmm. that but some mm -hmm. yeah cool Maybe so, we'll for my photo we'll do like a fashion shoot or something for. <laughs> let, let's do that. And you work for podcast. Burton. Yeah, you work for Burton. Like it was it was support. a yeah it was a freelance gig for a little bit and um, it was actually laying out like flats like basically fashion flats of um, before you go in like uh, when you're when you're considering like lots of different colors and different palettes they'll come up with a very two D layout of mm -hmm. what a piece of clothing could look like mm -hmm. and just my job was to lay out some of those different designs and how the different color palettes could work together. Um, and I was friends with a lot, a lot of fashion designers in, in college. Two very close friends with a bunch of fashion designers. Um, 
and that's I don't know it's always been kind of an undercurrent of my thinking and nice so that I think the undercurrent themes are really interesting through a lot of the guests on my show that what they end up doing might not necessarily be the path that I initially chose I mean what does that even mean? Like when you're 18, what do you know? You don't really. I mean, yeah. you know, you know a lot of stuff. You think you know a lot of stuff. Oh, I thought I knew. And then you everything. get out there. <laughs> I mean, every stage of your life is a different experiment <laughs> that you're constantly learning different things about. Um, that's that's sort of like how I feel as I get older. I know more about what I don't know. Mm. I realize how, you know, we're all sort of pretending and we're not really getting any older and our mindset sort of not necessarily fixed but mm -hmm. you know uh, it, it it's just interesting that I, you surprise yourself what you what you learn along the way at different ages which is very different than what you predicted when you're a kid oh for sure what do you think of this is the cut of the latest thing that you learned about myself yeah yeah thanks for turning this <laughs> I, I think the latest uh, not to again speak to the podcast the, the first thing that people keep asking me now, especially new friends I make these days, is about like why, not like why, but why did you start podcasting? And I've been giving, I feel like I'm trying to unify all my answers because I'm giving these long, like long-winded, uh, you know, answers to why I did that. Clearly very excited about it. But I look back, like something happened a year ago when Arnold had this Arnold Gives Back sessions. I went. Honestly, I was way too old for it. I was like at the cutting, I was just the cutoff of mm -hmm. the age-wise. But I decided to go anyway. Um, so One Young World is something that uh, Arnold has been doing for years now and sends uh, a selected few of like five to six people from the Boston office, New York office, to go to an event called One Young World where people like Richard Branson will speak there and you get to shake his hands. Super and, cool. It's crazy, and at the same time, you have super like underprivileged kids from all around the world, some parts of Africa, and they're there to like, you know, women up event. It just it's a crazy event that I so I was so desperate to, to go. But when I didn't make it, and people said after interviewing me, it's like you've been ignited. So I sit on that comment for a long time. I was like, what what does that mean exactly? I don't feel ignited, but mm. perhaps I should just create something on my own. So people ask me what to do. It's like instead of waiting for an event, waiting for somebody to say yes. I'm gonna just say yes to myself. I'm gonna choose myself and do something I always wanted to do. And good for you. Make it public. Yeah, and like, I think forcing yourself to experiment is yeah. is the key to growth. Like, being open to that, I think that's mm -hmm. when people start shutting down. And... Yeah, being 30 and starting something new, it's really scary. <laughs> You're like, what is, what am I doing? Like, shouldn't I be already onto a very settled, a very, <laughs> you know, regimented lifestyle? But um, speaking of lifestyle, one of my favorite questions is like, what, what do people do in the first, you know, half an hour or 16 minutes of their day? And even like also the last, you know, before you go to sleep, before you kind of end your day, mm. what does that beginning and the end look like to you? So even though like I'm supposed to be like a super um, informed, techie, nerdy guy, <laughs> I actually don't interact with technology for the first probably half hour to an hour of my day and every day I always get up I have a protein shake take my dog out and then I do 15 minutes of yoga and 15 minutes of meditation just to like basically get my wake my body up and then wake my mind up 
What kind of yoga and meditation do you um, do? Honestly, I, I just, I don't even know the types of different yogas. Basically, I, I've attended a few classes and had memorized like a bunch of different flows and different yeah. moves. And I, I know what feels good to me and that's honestly what's most important for me to reap the benefits of it. But just getting to that flow and mm-hmm. getting um, in like centered with my breath has, has been super helpful for me. And meditation is definitely a part of that too, of being able to calm and center the mind. I think that's one of those foundation skills. If you can control your mind, you can control a lot of different factors mm-hmm. of your behavior and your life. And, and that's something that's just really helped me to, to, to stay calm and centered in a lot of different moments in my life. But having kind of like setting up my day that way is, is Know, super helpful and that's honestly how I end my day most most nights not every night but most nights is very similar doing some yoga and meditation and mm-hmm. turning my phone on airplane mode for like a half hour before I go to sleep nice so I mean it's kind of boring but honestly it helps my day be so much more alive and present and um, and appreciative of, of the things that are happening around me by doing those things do you reflect upon things that happened in a particular day or in your life in general do, do you think about the positive experiences um, when you close your day? For sure. Um, actually, my, my wife and I created this thing we call Five Things, and we do it most nights where we just, each of us, all we do is talk about five things that are we're grateful for for each day. And it's great for, honestly, just having thanks for your day. You know how, like, on Thanksgiving, you know, we have one time a year where we actually are focused on being thankful and appreciative of the stuff around us. We're like, let's just make that every night. And honestly, it helps yeah. close the day with some good good feelings, good thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it helps it helps the next day too when you wake up. Mm-hmm. It gets you excited about those new interesting things you might experience that day. Nice. What are, what are some of the things, if you remember, recall from the night before, or, or have you collected a few positive experiences so far before end of the day that, that you think it's worth remembering oh, for? Oh, it could be. Well, for us, we are as, I think, non-judgmental as possible and just talk about, you know, like, it, it doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be five, five things. So it could be like, oh, that cup of coffee I had this morning was just so good. I was so happy. That was like one of the best cups of coffee I've had in months. Or, you know, I saw somebody cross the street, help an old lady cross the street or somebody in help. And that was just a beautiful thing, you know, and like just little things like that. Or it could be like, you know, I got a payday, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so. Your meditation environment, you know, I know there's a when, when I talk about meditation in general, like mm-hmm. while you're going through this process, it's been it's been talked about a, a lot, and people have such preconceptions, misconceptions related to meditation. Some people just yawn, it's like, oh my god, that again. But I completely echo your feedback that I do that myself, and it's really forever changed my life. And I wish I started doing that much earlier on, like when I needed the most in my 20s, early 20s. I, but I didn't until I was like late 20s. Mm. Um, for me, the meditation environment can be very simple, as long as relatively quiet, uh, less distraction. But what is your preferred setup? Like, where do you meditate, and how do you go about it? Oh gosh, um, I try to be. I'd love to be one of those people that can do it anywhere. You know, just be able to like sit in, in like a noisy park and be able to just do that. From for me, uh, we have it's like a, a part of our 
uh, apartment, a one-bedroom apartment. We have like a little office off of the side that's kind of away from the rest of the apartment. And we have this really nice little um, couch and a cushion. And I usually, it will sit cross-legged on the couch or I'll do it on the cushion. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a very, very kind of peaceful place from the rest of the house. And I close the blinds to kind of like shut out any sort of distraction and as much noise as possible. And honestly, like it's just kind of about tuning tuning out all of the distractions and then tuning into, you know, your intuition and, and feelings internally and kind of what's, you know, figuring out what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's nothing, honestly, that special. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes when you expect a certain very specific setting, that's when the activity doesn't happen. Yeah, like the high yeah. expectations kind of circumvent any sort of, you know, output you might be expecting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even going to the gym. Put a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah, I mean, going to yoga classes these days, I mean, everybody's wearing Lululemon, and you're like, should I also be, or you, you think about your yoga mats and how you could improve your experience. Oh, I know, it's almost kind of like against what the whole thing was about <laughs> in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it's so Of letting that, all that stuff go and yeah. the more superficial aspects of it. I can never, personally, I can never understand the, the idea of yoga competition. It's like, there are so many yoga competitions and people kind of like, look like contortionists and, mm. and doing all these things. And you think to yourself, like the idea of yoga is it's not about competition or competing yeah. in general. So, um, yeah, the, 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 those are interesting. I never, never, I've never seen any of the competitions. Lauren Brown, I know, does some of them. And I actually brought up a very similar question with her about that. And she had a great answer, I thought, and that was like it takes a it takes a lot of development, personal development and like peace of mind to be able to get up in front of hundreds or thousands of people and do mm -hmm. that. And I was like, Okay, I can I can see that. That'd be pretty hard to, <laughs> to keep that, that level of presence and poise in front of so many people. Yeah. Um, That's funny. I was just sure. thinking about some of the poses. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um are you comfortable talking about sort of routines in terms of like, one of the struggles I have, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Go for this it, part yeah, out for sure. You're not comfortable speaking to it is, to me, working full time and trying to like have clarity, my mind requires a lot of things to happen. Um, one of which is eating, like eating habits, you mm -hmm. know? And one of the biggest struggles I feel like I have right now is to find healthy food to eat consistently with the right combinations. And I look to people who are healthy, not just look good, but you know, feel good, mm -hmm. uh, and ask for their tips. Yeah. yeah, and people closer to my age, and like, if you're 19 and you're ripped, then I don't, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> That's genetic. <laughs> exactly. So what are, it sounds like your wife is also very into healthy living, and so what are some of the things, tips that you could give? Um. I mean, we're not healthy all the time, especially over the last like vacation I went on. Whew, gosh, that was out of control. Um, I mean, for me, I, every day I pretty much always have the same breakfast. I have a smoothie, some sort of smoothie um, before I come to work, which makes it really easy if you can kind of make it a routine. Mm -hmm. um, I think setting up the habit is the hard part, and 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 trying to set up little things inside your house or your environment where it's easier to make the healthy choice than the the not so healthy choice like for example mm -hmm. i don't go to the gym every day but i started a habit of keeping my gym clothes on the floor next mm -hmm. to my bed so as i wake up i put those on first thing because i 
and then I'm in my gym clothes, and that just makes it so much easier to go to the gym or go for a run. Or I usually I usually run run with my dog once or twice a week at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those little habits can can be really helpful. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert. My you should interview my brother. He's he's ripped, <laughs> and he's like he's turning thirty next month, and he's got a very regimented routine that he goes through. Um, but it's also about finding your personal balance too, right? Like yeah. a lot of that takes sacrifices. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's there's like the social pressure of when you go out to eat with a huge amount of people, and like mm-hmm. they're having cocktails and they're ordering fried chicken and this and that, and you don't always want to be the salad guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, where did you go for your last vacation? And what was that? It sounds phenomenal. Whatever the food oh experience was. It was. Um, uh, we were spoiled. It was. Um, it was my my father is a professional photographer, and he ended up bartering with a guy in the Adirondacks, um, who owned a very very small private island in on Saranac Lake. And so out of this barter, he was able to get us to come up and stay with him for like four days. But also part of the deal was we, me, my two other brothers and my wife and my other brother's wife was, um, we had to model for him. So basically we kind of just had to have fun and go out on boats and go swimming and uh-huh. cliff diving and stuff like that. And um, we just, they just got to relax and he just kind of took pictures of us doing, you know, enjoying the island, enjoying all the amenities, you know. Um, so that was a lot of fun, and they actually ended up having somebody come over and cook all the meals for us. So basically, we were, we were just like, yeah, yeah. It was it was a lot of it was a once in a lifetime experience. And, that was a ridiculous look on my face. It's like and wow. yeah, and all my brothers have like um, we all are like hobby photographers as well. So like my dad's taking pictures, and then all of us are taking photos of each other. We got some beautiful pictures from from it. Yeah. How often do you do this? Once a year? Oh, we've we've never done that before. Oh wow. That was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. You should make it happen more more <laughs> often. And I didn't realize. I remember you mentioned this briefly that your father is a photographer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his name? And is there a way to kind of discover some of his work? Oh yeah, his name is Gary Hall. Uh, Gary Hall Photography, and he's got a, a huge portfolio online. Does a lot of a lot of great um, kind of luxury and leisure kind of environments and architecture architecture and landscape work as well. Um, he, I mean, he's he's been to Africa and the Bahamas and South America, taking photos of resorts and, and different things like that. This is what he does full time. Yeah. For for how long? Um, like for he doesn't always travel like that. I would say I don't know. I'd have to ask him. But I would say you know a couple of times a year he gets to go and do things like that. But most of the time he's usually around the New England area, mm-hmm. taking photos and working for clients and doing a lot of fine art photography as well. Do you think his career path, or in this way, sounds very much like his talent has a big influence on you becoming who you are and what you do today? Yeah, I mean, he, my my dad for sure. Like he's he he is a very creative person, one of the most creative people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think him, as well as a lot of other family members, like my mother, uh, my grandfather, like most of the people on both sides of my family are very either creative or entrepreneurial people. Like my dad's whole side of the family, like they're all musicians. And when we were growing up, mm-hmm. like everybody had an instrument at Christmas and we'd play music together. And wow. my, my mom's side of the family, they're all either like business owners and entrepreneurs or crafts people or something. Mm-hmm. So there's, I kind of grew up in this culture of 
people if they wanted to do something they just kind of made made it made it happen so i think i got some of that in my spirit and some of that like kind of creative thinking in my blood as well tell me more about music and then you mentioned that you may play some instruments intuition for lyrics you play drum what yeah i uh i i feel that's one of the big missing things in my life right now because i i when i was younger i played drums played drums for 10 15 years at least and then when i moved to sweden i lived and worked in sweden uh, i think it was 2000 from 2010 to 2012 and i sold my drum set <laughs> and i haven't really had a real like strong musical output I'm, i could use sometimes pretty high energy and I was always either playing drums or I took martial arts as well. I know you're like a third day in black belt and I'd love to pick your brain about that, which is so cool. But I've always had like some sort of physical output, full, like something where I could express myself with my, my full body. And drums was a great way to do that, you know? And, um, and apparently there's actually like a lot of drummers here at Arnold, which is super cool. And uh, so, I mean that's that's something I'm craving right now. Um, so I've been like I've been looking into like what's the smallest, quietest drum set I can get from my apartment right now. But mm -hmm. for urban living, it's it's not very cohesive. I do have this thing. It's kind of funny. Um, I love it though. My father-in-law got it for me. It's called a cigar box guitar. It's a little three-string guitar made out of an old cigar box. And they they came from the south, and they were I believe one of the instruments that helped um, like what were that helped define the sound of bluegrass music wow. and it's just it has this so much soul to it and this really fun kind of country and a folky twang to it that's a lot of fun and I've gotten pretty good at it uh -huh. um, but I still it's still like I'm still a kind of a percussionist and I love that rhythm and I, I still looking to get back into it the lyrics thing that you mentioned I wasn't quite you mentioned like you are you find either memorizing or writing oh I think yeah when you and I were talking earlier um, I've never I haven't always had the strongest memory I've been I more of an imagination guy than a memory guy and I tend to get more lost in my imagination and I one thing that I have trouble memorizing is is lyrics to, to music Way, way, way. It's way harder for me than most people. Like I'd be, I'd destroy karaoke in the bad kind of way. <laughs> um, except, except for Metallica. Um, but I'm really, all I, all I have to do is hear a melody or a rift or a rhythm or something. You know, something like a, something musical once, and it will be like stuck in my head, and it will loop over and over and over. Or honestly, like that's. Teaching myself guitar, or even like the cigar box guitar, or things like that, um, have come from listening and, and copying. And actually, my little my littlest brother, uh, Keenan Clayton, he actually um, is in a band in New Orleans, and that's what he does professionally right now. And he is an exceptional, exceptional gy gypsy jazz guitar uh, player. Mm -hmm. And that's how he learned and taught himself. Like basically, he he is very similar and probably a lot better than I am at listening to one thing once and he can just translate it into his hands on the guitar and make it sound beautiful and sometimes even better than the person who played it in the yeah. first place yeah add all um, the twists to it yeah, yeah. and uh, he can he can memorize lyrics a lot better than I can though I just I've never been good with lyrics for some reason mm. How many siblings do you have I feel like you named so many I've got two other ones I got two uh -huh. I, I'm the oldest of 
three. Oh, okay. And so I have two younger brothers. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was calculating uh, many more. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it feels like there's a lot more. We have a lot of like close family friends that we've kind of... I have some honorary brothers and sisters, too. <laughs> awesome. Are there, uh, are there any questions that you're, you wish that I asked but I haven't yet? Um, not necessarily, no. I mean, this, is, this has been great. This has been really helpful. I think um, for me also just like being able to articulate this stuff out loud I think helps provide a lot of clarity for myself. And oh. um, if you have any other questions regarding me or anything at Arnold here, like, and anybody who's listening to the podcast, feel free to reach out to me directly or on my LinkedIn or, you know. Twitter. Twitter. Where are you most active? Uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter. Okay. So, and we can put that Twitter handle up. It's at Jordan001. Okay, great. I'll um, definitely include that. And if there's any other questions or want to get in touch with me regarding UX design or anything like that, I'm an open book. Sounds good. I'm going to close with one question I hope to close with every single guest. Um, it doesn't rhyme with you. We'll go to another one. But what is your definition of a, like, a meaningful and fulfilling life? Um, I don't. You notice I don't use the word success because I feel mm. like that can be interpreted so many different ways. What's meaningful and fulfilling? Who's a good example? Um, meaningful and fulfilling. I think it's one that you that someone has kind of defined and lived for themselves. Yeah. There's this. I don't even remember who said this. I can't. I don't want to quote it, but I, I read it and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's, um, it was look to yourself for the leadership you seek. And a lot of that is like, you know, spending, I, I, like I used to just read all the time and I still read a lot too. And sometimes I get completely lost in books and lost in other things that were not myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when I felt like I was more of a follower than somebody who was more kind of self-driven, self-leading. And I think a lot of a lot of living a fulfilling life is coming from a place where you're making the decisions from your own core, from your own heart, listening to your own intuition, developing your own gut and your own guts, I guess you could say, and, and versus relying so much of that energy, so much of that vision on other people. Mm-hmm. And granted, I know, like, um, and it's more of a personal thing. It's not necessarily saying at work because every everybody's got a boss. Even the bosses have a boss, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's not so much about that. It's more like, your personal uh, way of, of kind of being a captain of your own life. I love Does that. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I was listening to John, Jonathan Fields on his podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, Good Life Project. He said, be your own guru. Yeah. You know, listening. I, I love that. Yeah. That's cool. And then Tara Brock on her podcast said that um, when they, you know, people, I don't know, which group of people she was referring to exactly, but one of the biggest disappointments uh, when people are on the verge of passing away uh, is that they said the biggest regret uh, was that I wasn't true to myself. Mm. So, so many of us were or are still living the life of, of someone else's expectation, oftentimes family, parents, people we love and, and respect very much. We want to make them happy, but I think ultimately it's really about how we want to live our lives. And so I love how you, how you uh, mentioned that. For sure, for sure. And it's fun, it's about finding that balance too between being true, tr- true to yourself but also contributing to the environment you live in in like a harmonious way. It's like it, 
it's good to be true to yourself as long as it doesn't hurt other people too much, you know. It's good to be disruptive and to make a splash and sometimes, but don't hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but. Just don't be Donald Trump. When you meet people for the first time, like remember, I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, what, what is that you do? And people have so much to say about themselves. And I realized I don't want to lead with that question anymore because I, it feels judgmental in a way mm. that what you do defines who you are, which is so many, you know, oftentimes not the case. Like, what is that you love? What is that sparkles joy to you? And I think the, um, the thing that sparkles joy to me, as you put it, which I do like, <laughs> sparks, sparkles joy, or gets me excited is the idea of, like, I want to help come to the table and, and work with teams to really help build wonderful, wonderful things, like big, wonderful things that change, I think, people's way of thinking. And, and by that, I mean expanding people's perception of possibility, being able to, I think, get people to think bigger, mm -hmm. um, not just the teams that we're with or we work with, but like also the clients and also like our audience, the users, the customers who use our clients' products and, and things like that, um, shifting their perception in, in a very positive way. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I that resonates with me really well because in a way Cirque du Soleil does exactly that. Mm. It's a group of people, apparently that are 5,000 people, blows my mind, mm. to open up the possibilities and open up the Pandora box of things that we thought was just not humanly possible. Um, what are some of the podcasts that you listen to? I will make sure to include a list on the blog post as well. Um, oh gosh, the Nerdist. Uh, I listen to um, "On Being" by Krista Tippett. I loved Serial when it was going on. I don't know if it's if it's still back. I'm sure. I think it's coming back for another season. Yeah. Um, those are the main ones that come to mind. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. Thank you for having me, Faye. Yeah. It's been great. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.